Welcome to Generation Insight, Amplifying Youth Voices, the podcast channel for the most incredible young minds out there. I'm your host, Jason Chu, a student journalist and community advocate, and we're here to shed light on events that impact young people and topics that resonate with my peers. I also hope to encourage youth involvement in community services. This new episode is about the drug addiction epidemic and how a special nonprofit organization helps with it. I'm honored to welcome my guests, Ms. Rana Yablonski and Mr. Dylan Dunn of SAFE, a nonprofit organization that contributes in a tangible way to overcoming the addiction epidemic. Today, they will discuss this pressing issue with me. Rana and Dylan, thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell us a bit more about yourselves and SAFE? Thank you so much, Jason, for having us. Uh, Rana Yablonski is the Senior Director of Safe Choices. Safe Choices is the youth and young adults centered body of work within our nonprofit organization. The focus is on uh, a, a very vulnerable but very valued section of the population, uh, youth and young adults who are school age. And the idea is, is that we wanna make sure that they have the tools, the resources, and the supports to make health enhancing and life affirming choices. And what does that mean? Basically, the bottom line is that we just want youth to know that their voices matter in this arena, their choices matter, and that we truly care. We want to provide education opportunities as well as empowering and engaging opportunities where they can be equipped and feel prepared to stand up and speak about about topics that are important to them related around substance use and mental health. And hi, uh, my name is Dylan. Um, I am an assistant director on our team. I work with college campuses specifically. Um, so we work with college students, college campuses, professionals from around the country to figure out, yeah, what do we do to overcome this problem that we experience, right? How do we educate folks on how to keep each other alive, um, how to support folks, whether they're using drugs, whether they um, are in recovery or anywhere in between, or even just considering the whole conversation. Um, so yeah, a lot of things um, we get to do day by day, but I get to focus on college campuses and run. I focus in high school specifically. Okay, got it. Um, definitely a very, very important cause and an important topic. Um, so in a continued response to, o- to overdose epidemic, the White House released the National Response Plan to address the deadly combination of xylazine mixed with fentanyl. Can you provide some insights about this crisis in general and how it's impacting teens and young adults specifically? So I'll start and Dylan, you can feel free to jump in. We'll tag team throughout the uh podcast and we certainly invite you to also ask us more specific questions if we start to venture off on (laughs) something that you'd like for us to elaborate on but the bottom line is is that the addiction crisis um wouldn't be labeled a crisis if it really wasn't such right and so Mm -hmm. it in any given year or you know the numbers continue to seem to be increasing and that's incredibly alarming and so you know the last reported confirmed statistics from the cdc is a uh, 107,000 individuals uh who lost their lives to an overdose and so the bottom line is is that we're all impacted no matter your walk of life no matter your age no matter uh, where you come from in life we are all impacted and 
again, this is either directly or indirectly. There are no limits to addiction or the impact of addiction. And so therefore our response um, has to be just as comprehensive. And that's the beauty about Safe Project. And the idea that we have a dynamic team of subject matter experts who range across the spectrum. We have individuals like me who are working with some of the youngest residents and communities. Mm -hmm. uh, we have individuals like Dylan who are working with college aged youth and non-traditional students. Uh, as well as other initiatives within our organization that embrace all impacted sectors of the community. This includes the media, this includes healthcare, this includes individuals who have lived experience or who are in recovery, who can all play a role in the solution. And in this process that you guys are doing, are there any partnerships or collaborations with other organizations that have been instrumental in enhancing your efforts? Absolutely. Uh, we, we couldn't do it without others. Uh, and so just really want to drive that point home. It's all about collaborations. It's all about life fueling connections. Uh, it's all about meeting people in communities right where they are and addressing the scenario from the situation with which they're facing at the grassroots level. So some of our part, there's so many partnerships and it's borderline dangerous to only name some. Um, <laughs> and so um, there is, there are so many and we could mm -hmm. talk about it the entire time. There's, there's one that I'll mention and then I'll tag team over to Dylan and then mm -hmm. maybe we can come back and forth. But um, one of the, the key partnerships that we formed through the choices portfolio through our young um Adult, this is the, that center of body work that focuses on youth and young adults. In 2023, with was with an organization called Rise Together. Uh, so Rise Together is a national nonprofit that has existed for over a decade, uh, based out of Wisconsin. And this is an incredible partnership between two organizations who have shared mission and shared cause of essentially saving lives and changing the course of addiction and the impact of addiction on communities in doing so by bridging prevention and recovery. So the founders and CEO of Rise Together are individuals that are in recovery, who identify as living in recovery and who can bring the messages of hope and recovery to the forefront and the fact of re recovery being a reality for them. While also at the same time talking about the valleys of active addiction and the impact of mental health conditions. And so in the partnership with Rise Together, we are visiting schools across the country in something that we call the We Are Not Alone Tour, uh, where we communicate with youth the power of storytelling and the impact that storytelling has and how there can be this thread of connection through the power of stories and lived experience. So we empower youth uh, to use their own voices, to tell their own stories, to stand up and speak out about things that are important to them and invite them to be a part of the solution. And it's incredibly powerful and so motivating to see the creativity, the energy uh, and, and the, the partnership that youth bring to the table. We couldn't be more grateful. Yeah, the cool part about the work that we get to do is I think, I don't think we do anything alone. I think everything is a collaboration, everything's a partnership because we are a relatively small nonprofit. I think we have most days somewhere in the ballpark of 15 to 20 staff. And when there's that few people doing work that is national, for us to say we do anything alone would be disingenuous. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and so often on the campus team, the work that I do, 
we find creative ways to do a really broad amount of work in a lot of different locations and try to package it into like programs. And so I think since 2018 or so, we've worked with over 450 college campuses. And like I said, the challenge is how do we make that a a group that we can actually partner with rather than just like, here, here's a bunch of schools and see what we're gonna do with it and not really have a whole lot of direction. And so two things, I guess, to help make sense of that is one is that we work with students largely through a program called the Collegiate Recovery Leadership Academy, where every year we recruit and accept about 50 students from campuses across the country. And these are students that are in recovery or identify as recovery allies, folks that are impacted and wanna help make change, but may not have the lived experience of um, addiction themselves. Um, and we bring all these students together in Washington, D.C. We're actually the, the launch of this year's version of that program. This year's cohort will be in two weeks in D.C. Um, and we ask the students, what would you do if, if you could fix this? How would you do it? If you could fix the problem of addiction and overdose and the fact that students in recovery feel so alone on campuses, how would you do it? And then we spend the next nine months helping them do it. And that happens every year in these cohorts of about 50 students. And then that that runs academic year long so yeah september november all the way through about june july and then in the few months between that um, we also run a very similar program for professionals and so we bring about 60 or 70 professionals on college campuses teachers um, folks that are just working with students in every day together to ask the same question what problems do you see and how would you solve them and then we help them actually implement those things and so yeah, everything's a collaboration and we kind of find really creative ways to package it so that it's manageable for a small team rather than having to do everything as kind of one-offs. But it becomes really cool and a lot of momentum gets built. And then, yeah, every day is a new adventure. Wow. So that is a thing. Jump okay. right back in there and mm -hmm. add something else, if I might. Um, of course. In regards to... Uh, an engagement opportunity for the folks that might be listening to your podcast, right? And so if they're interested in two of the programs that we just mentioned, as it relates to the We Are Not Alone tour or Collegiate Re uh, Recovery Leadership Academy, those are opportunities for folks, again, to reach out to us and to be engaged in our work. Another opportunity is something called the No Shame Movement. A safe project in 2020 early on in the creation of the nonprofit organization created something called the No Shame Movement. Since then, we've also created the No Shame Education Program. And the bottom line around that is that there's no shame in asking for and or receiving help. And so it's a very easy step that interested folks can take. One of the questions that we get asked all the time is, Yes, I know it's a problem, but I just don't really know what to do about it, right? How can I be a part of that solution? And so we want to share information about opportunities for folks who are passionate. And one of those, again, is this no shame movement and the idea that there's this pledge that they can take online. And then there's also this education program. And it's all about recognizing addiction as a disease and becoming an informed advocate as well as an ally. And so how can I advocate for change in this arena? How can I support others? How can I promote treatment, recovery supports for others, and maybe even myself in this space? And that I would do, take every step to reduce stigma linked to it because stigma is the paralyzing impact of stigma means that if we say nothing and we do nothing, then nothing changes. And so I uh, just really want to offer that as a very easy beginning step for someone that might be interested in engaging as part of the solution in this arena. Of course. Okay. So interesting. And, and it's amazing to hear all the processes behind how you guys are tackling this. Um, 
So kind of moving to the topic of the drugs themselves, um, I did some research and it says that illicit fentanyl has been the major cause of the increase in overdose deaths since 2012. And there was also something about the flesh-eating animal sedative drug that is called Trank that was zombifying people. So can you tell me a little bit more about how deadly and harmful these drugs are, um, such as like fentanyl that's laced with xylazine and Trank? Yeah, so I guess the the basic of what fentanyl is is that it's just a very strong, very short-acting opioid. Um, what we often, when we're talking about conversations like this around like overdose and people passing away, um, we're often talking about illicit fentanyl. Fentanyl, the pharmaceutical drug, is used very commonly. Um, a lot of folks who have kind of heard the the have experienced the fear around fentanyl will often go to the hospital and be told, "Hey, we're going to give you fentanyl today," and they panic. Luckily, fentanyl in the pharmaceutical setting and in the hospital setting is safe. Um, we're totally fine. And so I want to kind of at first kind of make that distinction here is there's, of course, like pharmaceutical fentanyl and then illicit fentanyl. And illicit fentanyl is um, an illicit drug. We find it in the illicit drug market. Um, we traditionally find it in pills, powders or crystal drugs. Um, those are kind of the three places where we're seeing it either purposefully placed right now by drug manufacturers who are in the um, Ill illegal market, or um, it's either uh, placed there purposely or sometimes it contaminates on accident. And so um, the challenge with fentanyl is it takes a very small amount to um, cause an overdose if you have no or little amounts of opioid tolerance. And so for folks who have tracked the opioid crisis over the, few, uh, the past couple decades, um, a big driver of the opioid crisis is the fact that opioids are so powerful that they cause tolerance very quickly. And so you need more and more each time you take them to feel the same effect. Um, because that trend continues towards you need more and more, drugs like fentanyl that are very strong slowly become more popular because folks need drugs like fentanyl if they're wanting to experience continued opioid use and continued effects from that use. And so... The danger when we say fentanyl is killing folks, right, is actually that folks who are experiencing or using fentanyl intentionally or not without tolerance or expecting it to be in the drugs they're using. And so if using drugs, I think it was supposed to be, uh, I don't know, Xanax. I thought I was buying Xanax from somebody and I take it and it was, it was actually fentanyl in it. If I have no tolerance to opioids, it only takes about two milligrams to potentially cause an overdose. An additional layer here, and I, I can go layer by layer, so please feel free to stop or interject if things um, are getting confusing, but the really important piece that I want folks to know is that these drugs are only truly fatal and overdoses are only fatal if we're not intervening. Every overdose can be re reversed and intervened with naloxone, which is the opioid reversal drug, <clears throat> which is not over the counter, it's phenomenally accessible, it's not necessarily free to everybody, um, but every overdose can be reversed with naloxone if used in time. And so that is a bit of the kind of how I like to describe what is now the fentanyl overdose crisis and people dying from these drugs is that we have phenomenal ways to stop these from happening. Um, and with tools, these numbers can dwindle. It's just that we often, people are either using alone, so they're overdosing alone or, people, or no one is there to use naloxone on them, um, or they're using drugs they don't know have fentanyl in them. And so they're experiencing these overdoses that they thought they had no reason to be afraid of. Um, so it's complicated, um, at least the fentanyl part. Um, if you have any other questions about fentanyl, we can I kind of pause there, um, but I can get into xylosine as well if you want. 
I think it makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so xylazine, I know, is k- kind of the media has picked it up as yeah this flesh eating drug that zombifies people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that really comes from this fact that xylazine is a tranquilizer. Um, it is often it enters the illicit market through initially being manufactured for animal use. Um, and so it's not approved for, uh, adult human use. Um, it's not really, uh, prescribed for adult humans, but it is more of a veterinarian drug. Um, but the way it works is it constricts our blood vessels, right? And so the problem is if you use a drug that is not designed for your body, it may not constrict the blood vessels that you want. And often we're finding that people are developing these wounds even outside of the site that they may have injected the drug. And so say I'm a drug user and I'm injecting drugs in my arm, for example, I may develop a wound on my leg because that was where the xylazine happened to constrict the blood vessels in a way that was not intended and was not helpful. And then you're, when you when your flesh is robbed of blood, it starts to rot. And so that is a unfortunate side effect of using this drug in humans. Um, and so it's when people are saying like, we have a fentanyl laced with xylazine problem. It's often that we just like, people don't want to have wounds, like wounds are not great. And so the tools we give people are, how do you clean these wounds? How do you kind of navigate, um, wounds when often folks who are using these drugs may be unhoused and not have access to sterile environments. And so they have to pretty carefully and pretty actively clean these wounds. Um, and then the challenge, and I think one of the most harmful pieces of misinformation is that xylazine creates fatal overdose in when opioids. The distinction here is that xylazine is not an opioid. Naloxone, the tool I talked about earlier that reverses opioid overdoses when people overdose on fentanyl, naloxone binds to the opioid receptors, keeps people from overdosing on fentanyl. Xylazine, because it's not an opioid, is not affected by naloxone. And so if someone has an overdose from fentanyl that was laced with xylazine, they will return to breathing but not return to consciousness sometimes. And so that's just a dangerous situation. Um, they are alive. They are relatively okay if that's if we're just trying to prevent someone from dying of an overdose, right? Um, but they are just unconscious. And when you're, if for example, you're unhoused and left unconscious somewhere, that's not safe. Um, that is not a situation we want. And so um, that's kind of the fuller picture among folks that are kind of actively using drugs. Um, but of course, most youth and young adults, um, when we are afraid of fentanyl, it's because Folks are experiencing fentanyl and maybe even xylazine in places where they didn't expect it. Um, and they don't have tolerance. So the likelihood of overdose is actually very high. Um, so that's as best as I can paint the picture in a, a short podcast. Um, so yeah, feel free to let me know if there's anything I missed or if any, you have any questions about that. Of course, um, that definitely does make a lot of sense. Um, so like you mentioned, naloxone, how does the nonprofit SAFE work to ensure the accessibility to harm reduction resources such as naloxone? for all the individuals that are at risk of drug overdose. Yeah, so at Safe Project, we do a number of things. Like I said, being a small team with a national scope, um, it would be phenomenal if we could just have like an unlimited budget to give everybody naloxone, right? Um, of course. I think um, like the amount of naloxone it would take to, I guess what we call like saturate the country with enough naloxone to keep everyone from overdosing um, when they needed naloxone is in the billions of doses. 
Um, what we do instead is we work with communities and campuses and other groups to help them navigate systems that would help them get more naloxone. And so if I'm going to ever like gift or donate naloxone to a campus in my work, it's often to kind of push them over the precipice of helping the campus see that students want naloxone. Students will use naloxone. Naloxone works. It's not that we kind of give them enough naloxone to get them through the year. It's so that it's kind of an advocacy tool more than us kind of offering it as the solution or us as a solution, because a lot of states have like most of the people listening to this podcast, they can contact someone in their state and get naloxone for free. It's how do you find that information? How do you find those systems that already exist? We often act as kind of a educator and awareness provider of those things. And so I'm in color. I'm in Colorado um, across the country from you all. Um, but my state gives naloxone for free to anybody who wants it. You just have to ask. Mm. Most people don't know they can do that. And so my job here is to let people know about that um, or help states that don't have that develop those systems. And so, um, yeah, we're really the people just giving the naloxone on our own or often we're partnering to help folks amplify their impact through the systems that already exist. Got it. I see. Okay. And finally, can you share some examples or success stories uh, or notable achievements of, say, so we'll let Dylan catch his breath. Uh, <laughs> and there's a, a couple of things I can uh, jump in here. I mean, again, it, as we reiterated early on and throughout the podcast, is that Safe Project's all, all about collaborations. It's all about partnerships. It's all about meeting communities where they are and, and creating these productive uh, collaborate, collaborative initiatives, efforts, programs, whatever it might be. So the successes again are many and so one of the things that i mentioned earlier is the no shame movement and the no shame education program these are resources that are available and programs that thousands across the country and individuals of all ages have participated in and so um, it's a very easy thing to do to take a stance and to speak out but if you don't know where to begin we invite you to be a part of this movement and participate in uh, the utilizing the resources that are available on our website at no cost. The other thing I'd like to mention is to kind of reiterate the information that Dylan shared regards to naloxone and Narcan. And so we have had incredible support from partners as well as our volunteers and communities in creating on our website updates on the, the legislation and the laws as they stand in, in communities. And so you can very easily access. So Dylan says people know that, it, that this information can, naloxone can save a life, but where do I get it? How do I get it? What does what? How does my state view this? Uh, we have a repository of information on our website. Just simply typing in naloxone or Narcan in a search bar, uh, you can gain access to information to better understand naloxone. So much so that you can even get trained on how to administer this medication on on an online platform using tutorials and videos, and, and as, as well as the statewide legislation laws for each specific state. And so I think that that's another win and another success. The other thing that I want to share is that Safe Project is in meeting people where they are and communicating sources of support and help. We don't ever want individuals to feel stagnated by stigma or unsure of where to go to get the help that they need. And so on our website, we have um, the Family Support and Treatment Locator. So again, super easy online tool that individuals can type in their zip code from in their community and within a certain mile radius, uh, have identified sources of support and help for them. One other thing I want to mention to you is in, 
kind of circling back to the no shame um, pledge is often having that baseline understanding of addiction. It's super important for people to understand um, addiction and the all encompassing. Uh, it, it's very complicated, as we both mentioned. Um, it's, it's dynamic but it can be broken down so that individuals can understand this idea that addiction impacts all of us and understanding this disease of addiction. Just like there's resources on understanding uh, diabetes or there's resources on understanding cancer or other forms of serious health concerns, we wanna make sure that people understand addiction as a health issue and a health concern and to have this uh, opportunity to gain knowledge and to build your level of understanding is a step in the right direction and helping yourself and helping your community so there's just those are definitely uh, some wins that that i'm proud of there's so many more and again it's kind of always dangerous when you don't mention all uh, but can't can't mention them all in a short podcast and kudos to our campuses team check out all of the work that they're doing on college campuses as well as our communities teams and have to mention we do a lot to serve veterans and their families as well and so another very vital initiative and lifeline in our work is to provide services trainings and programs specifically for um, active veterans as well as their families and those that are retired from veteran services so it's all on our website. It's very comprehensive. The information's there and we're doing everything that we can, utilizing the support of our communications team and all forms of social media uh, to engage all to be a part of our work. If, if I could close with anything, I think it's like the, the personal side of this work is really important to me. And I think also like, and I think of the most notable achievements I've had at Safe Project, it's the personal stuff, right? Um, and growing up as a kid that like, I grew up around the opioid crisis. Like it was impacting my family daily. I was coming to school every day thinking about like, what is gonna happen when I go back home? Like, am I like, am I safe? Do people know what's going on? Things like that. And so that obviously led to the career I have now doing this work, but also big part of my professional achievements have been reconnecting with those things. And so Marana had mentioned the treatment and family support locator. After a growing up in a family where my dad was misusing opioids and kind of used deeply struggling with opioid addiction throughout my teenage years, I was able to use my work at Safe Project to use that treatment and family support later to locate to help him find treatment for the first time. Wow. Like anyone who's listened to this podcast, like I know it's hard, right? But like sometimes with the right moments, if you have the right tools, you can plug them in and change a life. Um, and of course, like changing your own father's life is something that I only dreamed of. Um, but then it happened. And then we do often hear back from folks we work with. So in my work, college campuses of, hey, we kind of were that initial donation of Narcan. They got 125 doses of Narcan that they handed out to key campus partners. And when those folks report back to us that they saved a life with one of those doses, um, the hard days become a little less hard <laughs> um, because it's all worth it in those moments, right? And there have been... I've had campuses go through 125 to 200 doses of Narcan in a semester. Um, and that means they were saving lives with it. And um, those are achievements that I could hang my hat on that today and be done with this work um, and feel good about. But this work's hard. Um, living in this world can feel hard sometimes with all of these crises going on, but um, we've all got tools we can use to help make a difference. 
Wow, so I'd love to add uh, the, mm-hmm. the personal component as well. So thank you so much for the opportunity to meet you, uh, to come alongside of you. And I think that um, in working with the youth and young adult sector, specifically almost every day of my career for uh, over two decades now, so it's been a long time that I've been very committed and very compassionate about this field and driven to inspire youth to stand up and to speak up and to be a part of the solution. And I think for me, it's because I believe that everybody matters. Every life matters every time. And that part of that is we just, I want to meet people where they are for who they are and let them know that um, they matter, their choices matter. And that there are people that are willing to listen, people who are willing to see them, people who are willing to engage them. And so uh, it is very meaningful work, the ability to feel as though you're making a difference to be able to come alongside people. Um, there's nothing better. Again, a lot of folks often say, why do you work in this field? And and why have you done it for so long? And because I can. And I am grateful for the opportunity to show up every day and for the ability and the opportunity to show up and to be there for people um, who can't do so for themselves. So it's very, it's invigorating, it's important and uh, it's very meaningful. Definitely. I'm sure there are so many more stories, inspiring stories out there um, that we don't have time, unfortunately, to go over all of them. But I've definitely learned so much and I really appreciate you guys coming to speak about this. Um, Before we conclude, is there anything else that you'd like our young listeners to know? Outside of anything, else. everything mm-hmm. you said, right. I'm going to say outside of everything that I've just said, uh, I certainly invite them uh, to reach out to us uh, if, if there's ever a way in which we can support, empower them. We do have a complete volunteers initiative uh, within our organization where we invite volunteers from the community and we do have um, a youth advisory council or committee that supports our work uh, as well as working directly with schools and communities and we certainly invite those who support youth to be a part of our work so that they too can grow um, and broaden their understanding of the needs uh, of the specific and unique needs of this generation of youth. And so it's not just the youth themselves, it's all that, um, it's the parents, it's the guardian, it's the caretakers, it's the community, it's, it's that collaborative approach and that because we're all impacted, we can all join together as part of the solution and that by coming together, we're a stronger force. The final thing I'll add then is, I mean, like just carry Narcan, please. <laughs> um, like if, if you need help getting access to Narcan, please let us know. Um, but like each of us have a role we can play in this. I know the news can be scary and it can kind of almost be like paralyzing how scary this stuff can feel sometimes. I mean, it doesn't have to be that way. Like each of us have a role we can play in overcoming this. And the more we talk about it, the more that's possible. And so I'm glad you're doing this podcast. I really applaud you for holding space for this. Um, And just, yeah, keep talking, find ways to help. And if you're not sure what that may be, feel free to reach out. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you so much for coming today to shed light on the addiction epidemic and the vital work that is being done at SAFE. We hope this conversation has inspired you, our listeners, to take action and support SAFE. And thank you for joining me on this podcast journey as well. Let's continue spreading awareness, breaking stigmas, and supporting one another in the pursuit of well-being. Together, we can make a difference in the lives of teenagers and everyone affected by substance use disorder.